All right, guys, today I am with Amanda Johansson. She is a mental toughness coach with Headstrong Consulting. And today we're gonna to talk about the mental side of performance, um, life, how we can maybe utilize some of their services and things that we can do to just be more productive what we do. And I've always said, if I didn't get into physical therapy, sports psychology is something that's just fascinating to me. So. Um, we're going to chat a little bit. So, Amanda, thanks for joining me. I am happy to be here. I love getting to learn a little bit and share some knowledge, and especially with people who are interested in something similar that I am. Yeah. So, could you just give us a brief introduction? Your background is quite fascinating um, with gymnastics <laughs> and, and some of the other things. How did you get into sports psychology, and, and what is it that, that you do? So I was a gymnast growing up my, my whole life. I grew up in Park City, Utah. And instead of um, skiing competitively, like most of my friends did, because I was literally five minutes away from three different ski resorts. For some reason, I got drawn to gymnastics and I ended up uh, driving an hour to practice every day. And... Um, got really, really into that, fell in love with the sport. And I ended up on a full ride scholarship to the University of Denver. And I went out there, I had a four really awesome, successful years. And I loved the sport of gymnastics in college that kind of revamped my love for it. Um, although once I graduated, I was very much done. Mm -hmm. And I kind of saw a lot of sort of dark sides of the sport. And I saw a lot of people struggle to get out of the sport, kind of transition into normal life per se. Um, and then I, I was in that weird phase where I didn't know what I wanted to do really with my life. So then I went back to Park City and instead of kind of doing the transition myself, I just continued doing sports. So then I got into aerial ski jumping and I competed at a World Cup level uh, for about two years. And all up, I competed for maybe three and a half years, um, trying to make the US ski team, and then ended up breaking my elbow and seeing some pretty gnarly injuries. And I was an older athlete, kind of. I was maybe 23, 24 at that point, and kind of decided that my time in elite sport was maybe done. Um, and while I was doing aerials, I was coaching gymnastics kind of on the side to help pay for it, mm -hmm. which I told myself I would never do. Uh, I said, I'm never going to coach gymnastics. And then uh, there I was coaching gymnastics. Mm -hmm. And then I got a really incredible opportunity to go to New Zealand and coach kind of their development team in Christchurch, which is on the South Island. And I was only supposed to be there for four months. And then I found myself there for seven years. So um, I was really lucky, kind of right place, right time. And I got to coach girls going to World Cups, World Championships, Commonwealth Games. And I was really fortunate to coach one of the most incredible athletes I've ever seen um, in her last year and a half kind of journey up to the Rio Olympics. So that was pretty incredible and I loved it. But what 
I was sort of realizing was that I could give or take the sport, really. And my favorite part of coaching was the mental side, which is kind of funny because a lot of coaches actually hate that part, especially in sports with high risk because it comes with mental blocks and fears and especially with teenagers if they're afraid that usually comes with a little bit of attitude kind of thing Mm -hmm. and I loved it that's what I genuinely loved about it and so I realized um after a kind of not so great situation work-wise I had a little bit of uh strife and wasn't treated super well um which actually in hindsight was a really good thing for me because it got me out of coaching. And that's what took me back to do sports psychology and get into the psychology field. So I went back and did my master's at the University of Canterbury in New Zealand um, in applied psychology. And then not so long ago, um, well, I started working with athletes in New Zealand and teams and New Zealand has just not too long ago, maybe a year and a half ago, introduced a really awesome kind of new way of doing sports with the, which they call balance is better. So kind of encouraging young athletes to do more than one sport instead of sports specify um, kind of encouraging them to have a balanced life, which is so crazy that that's such a like big new thing. It should have been a thing forever. But mm-hmm. so I worked with uh, a couple gymnastics gyms working on that balance is better approach. And then I came back to the USA in June to be with my family, who I hadn't seen for years because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. and I found Nicole Detling at Headstrong and I just kind of emailed her and said hey this is what I'd like to do I'd love to see kind of what you have and we've we've both kind of chatted quite a bit that it was pretty cosmic timing and right place right time again and um, I now am doing my most favorite job ever and I just feel so incredibly lucky that I get to do what I'm super passionate about every single day so that's kind of what's brought me to this point here that's a big circle I I was wondering if you were I, before we started this I asked if you're from New Zealand because I can hear it a little bit like yes spent enough time. I've been told that quite a bit and I've been in the states now for almost a year and it's still there so Mm-hmm. I think uh, when I go back this time, it'll really set in, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were lucky enough. My wife and I went uh, for our honeymoon. We did 14 days or something in Australia and then nine in New Zealand. Yes. Um, so we, we've been. It's be- beautiful, beautiful place. It is such a stunning country. It really is. Like mm-hmm. anywhere you go is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. We, I mean, we were on our honeymoon, so we had no stress, no things, but yeah, yeah. amazing place. Uh, yeah at some point need to make time to get back there because it was that's right you'll have to come back yeah it's interesting to me um from the mental side that that's of interest to you with gymnastics i i've not done gymnastics but you know you watch you know at the olympic level you figure they've done those routines thousands of times Mm -hmm. yep but how do you get your mind right to do it 
perfect ones in that setting, that pressure that, I mean, it's just super fascinating to me. Yeah, that is really kind of the ideal for everyone. That's sort of the ultimate goal for every athlete, I truly believe, is to kind of be able to turn things on in the right moment. And that's where it is entirely mental because at that point, especially at like an Olympic level or a professional level, you really have done everything physically that you can do up to that point, or you wouldn't be at that level. Mm -hmm. Um, And so at that point, when you're performing, it really is about turning on your mental game. And I am a million percent sure that if you had two athletes that were identical physically in their kind of talent or capabilities or whatever you want to call it, that the athlete who is on their mental game more that day will be the one who wins. Million uh, percent sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would I would venture to say you could take somebody that's less athletic, but if their mental game yes. on point, they they'd probably be more successful in their career. Yes. Yes. And that's one of the biggest things is that um, I know we've all kind of heard it, but hard work and the space that you're in is always a winning point over talent. Talent really doesn't do much for anyone in any realm, not in athletics, not in business. It really is about how much you're willing to put into that energy wise, mentally wise, physically wise. Yeah. So what, what is kind of the overview of Headstrong Consulting? Like, what is the company? What do you guys do um, kind of day to day? So Headstrong is a really, really awesome company. And I know I'm a little bit biased because I work for them, but truly is the best. Um, so, <coughs> excuse me, um, Nicole Detling actually started Headstrong about 20 years ago, I believe. And <clears throat> What it is, is there's six of us who are consultants or coaches, mental coaches. And the aim of what we do is to increase people's performance. And although the vast majority of our clients tend to be athletes from anything from a teeny little hockey player who's eight up to Olympic champions and professional athletes and everything in between from a crazy amount of sports, sports that people wouldn't even imagine. The goal is to improve those people's confidence. But like I said, it's not just athletes. We also have business people. We have performing artists. We have coaches. We have parents. Basically, anybody who feels like they want to increase their level of performance, their level of confidence, their level of commitment and motivation, anything that goes along with that mental toughness realm, resiliency, that's kind of a big one in our field right now. um, That's what we kind of deal with. And the beauty is, is that when you really think about it, pretty much everybody is performing at something in their daily lives, right? Whether you're performing at work or whether you're a parent. Um, I have a 17 month old, so I haven't been a parent for a really long time, but I do know that that is 
that is a performance too. There's a lot of stuff that comes with it and kind of it really tests your confidence sometimes and your abilities. And so anything that you do that you could kind of call performance, which really we could probably argue is anything, that's the people we work with. So really anyone. And it is just building that mental toughness. Congratulations on the baby. Game, Thank you. Game changer. <clears throat> we have two little ones at home, uh, two and a half year old and six months, something like that. So. Oh, wow. How is it? Is it hard with two? It's different. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet. <laughs> uh, it's just, you know, you're, you're, I'm sure at 17 months, like things are kind of starting to settle into a routine, right? Like it's, you're out of that wild phase. Yeah. Uh, and then you just reintroduce it. Um, so. Start again. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's great. We're, we're super lucky. Yeah. That's awesome. That's fun. Um, so you're taking the, the baby to New Zealand, huh? Yes. Yes. I actually, I flew with him by myself from New Zealand to the States in uh, June of last year. So it was kind of mid pandemic. I hadn't been out of New Zealand. And that was kind of, it was a little bit intimidating because New Zealand at that point had not really, we really hadn't had COVID at all. Um, and our lockdown was only five weeks. And at that point, our lives were totally normal. And so it was kind of scary flying to the States where things were a little bit more aggressive and a little crazy. and. It was just me and my son and it was a 12 hour flight and then a one hour flight, but um, it was, it was actually pretty easy. It wasn't, yeah. he's a great, he's a sweet little dude. And so he made it pretty easy for me. And my best friend actually met me in LA and then flew me back to Utah. And that was really special. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how he does on this trip. He'll be a little older. Yeah. <laughs> This one will be a little bit different. He's moving around, he's walking, but yeah, we re we recently flew back to from Hawaii with him in January and he was sweet. So we're hoping it will be sweet again, but you yeah. never know. Yeah, yeah that's what makes it fun. Man. <laughs> we're worried about like taking our kids on like a four hour car ride, so... <laughs> We just we just did that one too, but you also have two, so you have double the fun. Babies. So what's weird to me is now the baby seems so simple. Yes. Right. You're like, oh, this baby's the easiest thing on the planet. It's the it's the two and a half year old. That's hard. Um, where you know, first time around, the baby is like this big, you know, life changing thing. Yeah. Now you're like, ah, oh, the baby, no problem. You know, yeah, you have to deal with the ones that can. They can talk and move and escape and climb. Yeah. It's weird how it all shifts in your head mentally, or maybe you just forget about, I don't know. It's interesting though. Both. I think both. <laughs> yeah. It's like, ah, this, this one's simple. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I've been telling people all the time. Like, I don't know how people get past two. Like, I don't know how you end Whoa. up. With <laughs> I don't, I don't. Being, the, the idea of being outnumbered just seems scary right that's what i think i'm like two is good you have good odds there and then then you're really then it's like herding cats at some point i think those parents that have more than two children are superheroes or they have maybe they have more arms i don't know what's going on there but 
Yeah, I've apologized and complimented more people since having children. Like, how did you pull that? <laughs> Me too. Perspective. Perspective. Anyway, so you know, I I've done high school sports and that kind of stuff. Still, kind of dabble in different things, and then the business side. There's there's obviously a mental side to that. Um, but I've never, as much as I'm interested in sports psych and I've done some homework, I've never like worked with somebody. What would you say would like encourage somebody to reach out and work with somebody? Why, why would somebody want to do that? I think the best reason why you should want to reach out. And I, again, I know I'm biased, but I truly believe that everybody should do some kind of I don't know if I want to call it therapy, but therapy, whether that be some counseling or actual therapy or sports psych services or mental performance coaching, because what it does is the real basics of it, when you strip everything away, is it's training your mind. And that's something that I think a lot of us don't actually realize about mm -hmm. psychology or those kind of services is that we spend a lot of our days training our bodies, especially if you're an athlete of any kind. That doesn't mean you have to be some Olympic champion. It could be, you know, you're on your like friend's dodgeball team or something, whatever it may be. If you're an athlete, you spend a lot of time training your body a lot, like hours, right? There are most gymnasts are out there training 28 hours a week. And that's a lot on your body. And what happens is a lot of us don't actively train our minds. And that could be in your job too, right? You are in any kind of career, you are probably being pulled a lot of different ways. There's a lot of stress involved. There's a lot of pressure involved. And we're really seeing a crazy time where work-life balance has become a very difficult thing to do because now we have email on our phones and we have texts and calls and it's become increasingly difficult to leave work and leave work. If you know what I mean, right? Like not pull it with us. Um, and especially with the pandemic, like that's one of the most incredible things that we got out of it was this remote work, but it's also a little bit of a double-ended sword where also, I, I mean, I know I do it. I am like doing my work and then all of a sudden I'm checking my phone for my emails and then da, da, da. And you end up doing a lot more work than maybe you would have done even just going into the office. So I think it's a real balance and that is a lot of what we do too is working with people and how to balance their lives and how to stay resilient and how to kind of minimize stress in our lives because that is something else that has increased dramatically over time in general but again with the pandemic kind of in a lot of the unemployment rates and stress with jobs and being sick and having to take time off work and all the good stuff that's kind of come with us in the last few years um, has just increased stress so much that actually recently I saw a figure that 90% of general practice doctor's visits have something to do with stress, which is 
terrifying. It makes sense, but it's terrifying because what they've found is actually stress over time, right? So little kind of increments of stress day, day by day really uh, elevates your cortisol. And what that does, significant elevated levels of cortisol has been linked to pretty much every horrific disease out there, cancer, obesity, diabetes, coronary diseases. And so really what we're doing is we're killing ourselves with stress. And again, a lot of what I do is training people and helping people to become more resilient. And a lot of that is through gratitude, through mindfulness. And that in turn tends to eliminate or minimize stress significantly. So it really is just making your life better. That's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Um, you know, we're in the, in the physical therapy world. Um, like that, that's what we do day to day. But a lot of what we do is deal with psychological problems because to your point, when cortisol's up, inflammation goes up, you can't, your immune system's not functioning, you can't get into that rest, uh, parasympathetic rest mode, uh, and the body doesn't heal like it's supposed to, right? So it turns into pain, and, you know, guarding and tension and tone and all those postural things that come with kind of being in fight mode. So that's, that's my interest in psych. And I think our challenge has been, I don't know that we have a great, um, whether it's an understanding or being able to refer to the right people. Um, I don't know. Our, our clients, I think we, our clients have struggled with the psychology side of getting out of that stress state. Yes. I don't know if that's just general education, like, or the world we're in, or that we don't have the professionals to, to, to handle it. That that's, that's been a challenge for us um, as a clinic is helping those people that are just in that constant fight or flight mode. Yes, yes. And I think it's probably a combo of all those things. I think historically, people have only gone to a psychologist or a counselor or a mental performance coach, whatever it may be, when they feel like they have a problem, right? And there's still a little bit of that stigma, I believe, with getting help, no matter what that means, which is such a bummer because I truly believe that we could all benefit from some kind of psychological services at any point. I know that when I transitioned out of coaching and I had a really toxic work environment at that point, I went to a counselor who, which is a funny story because I initially thought maybe he'll be able to come into my workplace and he'll do a mediation and he's gonna save the day and we're all gonna be happy and love each other. And after I went to him, he kind of said, um, how about you, how about instead you come to see me and we can kind of sort out you? And I was like, yeah, okay, that sounds great. And luckily I grew up, my dad was a counselor growing up. So I was very open always to um, those kind of services. And I, I knew how beneficial they were. And I idolized my dad growing up. So I was like, great, this is awesome. And he truly helped change my world. He helped me understand what I loved about coaching, which was really, I loved helping people. And it's crazy that I didn't 
have that sorted by myself before, especially with my dad and wanting to be in my dad's footsteps. I know I had had random times in my life during my undergrad and after thinking, oh, sports psychology, I think I should do that. But I never had, I don't know if it was the guts or the just that drive to say, okay, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna go back to school. And he really helped guide me along that path of figuring out what I wanted to do and how I was actually going to do it. And at that point, I had been out of university for seven years. So it was also really intimidating for me to go back and be kind of an adult student. But he really helped me see that. And this sounds like an ad for like, go to counseling, but it truly was the best thing for me. And He's really, I'm really close to him now. He came to my baby shower. He's the greatest. And I have had a lot of friends actually reach out and say, you know, hey, I, I don't know what I want to do with my life or I'm struggling with this or that. And they've gone to see people and it's, it's really awesome. But services don't have to be like that either. Like you don't have to have some big problem you don't have to have a mental block you don't have to be hating your job to go get some mental performance or mental toughness coaching right it's it doesn't have to be about that you can just go get these services to to better yourself really but also I do think there's a um a shortage probably internationally and lack of funding with the whole mental services, mental performance services, I think it's just, there's high demand and there's not a whole lot of it. I mean, there, there's a lot, but it could always be better. Yeah. I, I think the other thing I struggle with and in, in whether it's making a referral or like, and there's so many things I could improve from a mental toughness standpoint, a psychology, psychology standpoint, how do you pick a person or how do you decide like if somebody asked me, go see a physical therapist, there's a million differences, right? There's nuances of big scale of do they work in a rehab center or an outpatient center? But then even within like the subspecialties, like what we do is very different than what you're going to get at another place. How does somebody go about looking for somebody to help them with, with what they need? Like what are things people should look for? That's an awesome question. And that's actually really important in our field. What there is it pretty similar a lot of differences so if you are going to see a psychiatrist a psychiatrist is somebody more that deals with very very clinical very very um intense psychi like psychiatric issues so that can be things from schizophrenia to bipolar that is a lot more medical those um, those people have been in medical school. That is a, it's a different realm, really. Um, <clears throat> then you kind of get down to a psychologist, and then even that is pretty vast. So we have a clinical psychologist, we have child and development psychologists, we have sports psychologists, we have um, industrial organizational psychologists, there's a whole kind of slew of sports psychologists or psychologists in general. Um, sports psychology is an is a really interesting one that kind of is a sect of that. And 
sports psychology is interesting because they are people that deal more with the clinical side in sports. So that could be clinical anxiety, clinical depression, eating disorders, um, kind of mood disorders, any of that kind of stuff just in a sports context, if that makes sense. That's what I would suggest if people are looking for, if athletes were looking for somebody to talk to if they had one of those actual clinical issues to go to a sports psychologist specifically or a clinical psychologist. And then you kind of get into our realm, which is more of the performance-based side. So we actually don't deal with strict clinical mental disorders. That's when, if we would suspect that maybe somebody was dealing with more than just competitive anxiety or more than feeling really down after a really bad game or a bad competition, that perhaps we would refer them to a mental clinician instead of more of the performance side, if that makes sense. So I, I think I'm following. So like from a, if somebody has like a day-to-day -day anxiety or, or so, like some type of actual depressive, more of a consistent, that's not necessarily your game, but you would want to send them to somebody that does that specifically. Yes. And that doesn't mean that we don't have overlap. I have quite a bit of overlap. Those things, they're not... They're separate, but they're not like worlds apart, right? So I have some uh, clients that may struggle with general anxiety or general depression, mm -hmm. but they also, so they deal with that. They go to a clinician to kind of balance out their medication or deal with that from a mental health side. And then they come to us for services to kind of increase their performance in their sport. And we often work kind of side by side. Interesting. Yep. So it's both sides of the coin. So kind of making sure that we're helping the whole person. Yeah. You kind of have your little team. Of yeah. Yeah, totally. So how about, um, how about from like the business side or from the work performance side? Um, you know, like I, I just look at myself and like, there's little mundane tasks that you put off and you know, you shouldn't, um, just dumb things. Uh, you didn't do your billing this week or you didn't do your documentation or you, you know, like simple tasks that you know you should be doing and it's really starting to affect, you know, the productivity. And I'm sure everybody's got their examples of that. Yeah. Um, I have to imagine that's some kind of weird mental thing. Yes, um, procrastination is a is a thing right and it's something that a lot of us deal with in our personal lives or job lives or sporting lives quite a bit and those are the most important thing i think with an issue kind of like that is to kind of figure out why that's happening right mm -hmm. or you putting things off because you don't want to do them or are you putting things off because you have something else better to do or are you kind of veering around things because you're worried about if you fail at it that's a really big one that happens a lot in pretty much every field right is 
that fear of failure, fear of making mistakes or fear of letting people down. I hear that with almost every client I have, whether that is a business person or a ballerina or a professional rock climber. There, I hear that all the time. And I think often that fear of making mistakes and that sort of perfectionist that eats at us quite a bit makes us worried to do things sometimes. We're worried to take the next step or we're worried to do that thing or to, so we tend to push things off or avoid things that we're not particularly looking forward to or that we're a little bit nervous about doing for some reason. Yeah, I think I heard it. I don't remember where I saw this, but something about like we were afraid to fail at something. So we'll actually self-sabotage it so that we have an excuse of why it didn't work. And you just kind of like never give yourself a chance to hit it, right? Yes, yes. And I see that, I honestly, I see that all the time. And it's crazy, it's crazy because it's it's really backwards thinking is that if we're afraid to make a mistake, you'd think that we would want to go 100% in to kind of make it less likely that we would make some kind of drastic mistake but instead we do the opposite humans tend to do the opposite we tend to hold back when we're afraid instead of pushing forward and that is one of the biggest things that I talk to people about absolutely so then not that we need specific things but like what would it look like? Like, so if you're working with somebody, is is it like, hey, we're just going to have a conversation? Are there things like drills or things that you practice? Like, how do people work on those skills? Like, what are some of the strategies that, just general ideas of strategies that people use? So our services are really, really, really specific to the individual. So I have kind of a whole slew of exercises for confidence, exercises for kind of mental toughness, for resiliency, ways to get over your fear of failure or mistakes or working on your motivation. Kind of, I mean, we could go on for days, but I kind of always have a lesson plan per se when I meet with someone, but it's totally dependent on that person and how they're feeling that day. So I, what we do actually, so our first session we use as a meet and greet and that gives us a chance and it's free because it's the most important part actually is getting a working connection with the person, making sure that we both feel like, oh yeah, this is a good fit. And then it gives me a chance to understand what that person is going through or where they're trying to go. And I often ask them, what are some of their strengths? What are some of their weaknesses? What do they want to work towards? And then I kind of go away and figure out a bit of a plan. And I always have kind of an idea of where I want to go with them. Like if I could tell, okay, confidence is something that I really want to focus on with this person. Then I kind of go back and I get, a plan for what kind of sessions I can do for confidence and what kind of kind of outside things I can get them to work on. 
So one of the biggest things that I do with confidence that my favorite one actually is I have people go through their five best performances of their life. And that is kind of to get those happy hormones flowing, oxytocin, dopamine, making them feel good in the moment. And then the next session I'll do their five worst. And usually when I tell people that they get really they're like, oh, well, why do we want to talk through that? And most humans, right? When we, when something happens to us that is unfavorable or we have a performance that is so bad, we don't, we like to ignore it or we like to, you know, kind of push it away and not look at it and not think about it. But the most important thing, and I know people tell people this all the time, but we learn the most about ourselves as human beings from our mistakes and from our failures. And so that particular um, session that I do with pretty much every client is to get them to look at their failures and their mistakes in a different light, in a more growth light, with a growth mindset, instead of saying, you know, yeah, I had this horrible performance and I thought about quitting that job or I thought about quitting that sport and it was so horrific. We actually go through it, dissect it, relive it, and then learn how that experience made them better as a human being now. And that's something that I do with like more specific to confidence, but it also double helps with that fear of failure. And it kind of gets people past that, oh, okay, actually making mistakes, failing at things is actually not a bad thing. It can be a really, really good thing. And I read an incredible article once about how there was, I can't even remember his name, this is so bad, but a big sports psychologist, or not sports psychologist, regular psychologist that worked with kind of people at the top of their, um, perspective kind of things. So it was Olympic athletes, CEOs, Green Berets, kind of top people in their perspective fields. And what he said was that through all of his clients that he had had, he had realized that most people's greatest successes had come off their biggest failures. And so I think it's really important to talk through people's bad sides or bad situations or things that hadn't worked well for them and let them relive it to kind of build for their future. So that, that is kind of a specific um, example, but it's one of the best things that I do with clients. Yeah, super interesting. The, the, yeah. The, the learn from the failure kind of mentality, but then next level. Yeah, yeah, totally, okay. totally. Yeah, that's interesting. We've been, um, <clears throat> that's, that's always been something of interest to me. Like, you know, you, you hear people say all the time, like learn from your mistakes and this and that. And then and what does that, what does that even mean? Um, yes. But I don't know. The other thing that from a psychology standpoint, more of a, a sports side, um, some buddies of mine and I are, getting back into archery like shooting bows and stuff yes and it's super interesting uh this idea of target panic and like you see a target and you shoot and you're like 
well, why can't I freaking control this mental aspect? Like, it's so stupid, but it's like, it's the most night and day mind trick I have ever seen in my life. Um, because it's so simple. You know how to do it. But when your mind's not right or you're anxious, like you're having something going on that day, like it is so obviously, it's like, all right. So yes. the sports psych, whether you're talking like, you know, for me, it's just fun and I still can't do it, right? So I can only imagine how people pull stuff off at, at big levels. Yes, I actually work with quite a few archers. And oh, really? Yeah, and it's really... Archery is one of those that's, it is so mental, right? You're not running around. There is obviously a very physical aspect to it. It takes a lot of strength, but it is so mental. And that target panic is a, is a huge, huge part of it. And learning how to kind of, I think the biggest thing is it's a lot of a perspective shift. So kind of getting people instead of, and what we do, right, in every kind of aspect is we tend to put pressure on ourselves because we care about things. If you didn't care about what you did, there would be no pressure, right? So when I go bowling, because I know I'm not a bowler, I'm not very good at it, and I really don't care how I do at it, I, I don't. I just, I just kind of bowl, and if I miss, oh, whatever. But if somebody was to say, Amanda, let, I'm going to challenge you to a handstand contest or something then I get really competitive mm -hmm. and I expect myself to win because that's something that I care about that's something that I know I have on me and that's what I often try to get clients to kind of let go of is that I have to do this I have to be the best I have to have all these crazy goals and I have to accomplish them like this and it's more of a perspective shift, right? Like a lot of life is just shifting your perspective, shifting your mindset and looking at it in a different way. And often one of the best things that I do with clients is getting them to do whatever their thing is for fun. Actively going into a performance setting or a competition setting and just enjoying their sport or their business or their parenting or whatever it is for fun, like, and appreciating it for what it is. Mm -hmm. And that minimizes pressure and stress more than almost anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. We do, you know, we do therapies, the physical therapy stuff. And um, we just did an event last weekend, actually, where we just set up a booth and we're just kind of doing fun stuff, right? Throwing some cups on people, doing some massage gun things. But like, to your point, pretty low pressure, right? People are coming up, they just want to feel good. Uh, yeah. It's kind of fun, right? You just, you're just doing your thing, you know? Yep. Yeah. And you enjoy it, right? You're just out there. What you're good at, you just kind of... Da -da -da -da. That's it, right? And that's probably, honestly, that's probably a, a lot more fun than a day where, you know, you know, you're packed with appointments and mm -hmm. you know there maybe it's like a really important person comes in or something and you you get that moment of oh man I have to do I have to do my job right and I have to do this all in this special way and I think a big shift is actually shifting your words from have to to get to and and that does 
huge things for your mental state. So like the more we talk, the more you realize like, all right, so I have these examples of things where I notice it, but everybody, right? We all have these examples. Totally. When you look at fitness, there's like a lot of general fitness education, right? Mm -hmm. Like you kind of get it in school, you have gym class. Um, there's a lot of resources of like the basics. Totally. I feel like that doesn't exist when it comes to mental toughness and, and making like some of these strategies that you're discussing. Um, does it happen in education? Is it generally available to the public? Honestly, no. <laughs> and I, I would agree that I think that's one of the biggest problems is we, even in the sports realm. So when I kind of went through my kind of coaching courses all the way up to FIG, which is like the highest level of gymnastics coaching, there really wasn't anything about the mental side. We, we did a lot of biomechanics and anatomy and all these crazy things that I, I mean, it's good to have, I'm sure, but mm -hmm. really there is a whole lack of resources and availability for exactly that just some mental toughness skills or how can I increase my performance right you can you can find it but you have to do a little bit of searching and you have to find somebody that knows what they're talking about too it's a lot obviously a lot better but it would be really awesome if that was taught more in a middle school setting or a high school setting or a college setting with just like a regular class like mental health or like mental toughness, something. It would be awesome if we could have that incorporated into schools. I think it would help people along their journey in life in general. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if that's like, you know, what, it, the number you used earlier, but I mean, I just see it, like the percentage of my clients that have some type of anxiety, depression, um, yes. clinical level stuff. Yep. And then multiply that by a million for just like the day-to-day -day stuff we've been talking about. Like it's yep. everybody. And like why isn't it part of just right i know i think about that all the time what i am happy about is i know that in some schools i know in new zealand they do it quite a bit um they are being taught mindfulness more at a very young age in classes in school and i really appreciate that because i think with today's world and with our phones like basically attached to our hips we have lost a lot of our capability to sit with ourselves and sit with our thoughts and we just don't do it anymore right so if you get in an elevator yeah if you get in an elevator a place where there's a little could be uncomfortable mm -hmm. we just get on our phones we just don't deal with it mm -hmm. and so now when we have situations where we're uncomfortable or we're out of our comfort zone or we're being pushed you know in a healthy way but we just can't handle it we don't know how to be uncomfortable or how to just sit with our emotions or feelings or ourselves in general anymore and so mindfulness is so powerful and i'm glad that they're teaching it in schools and that um i do a lot of that with my clients too and we actually have a coach who's like mindfulness master pretty much and that's what she does a lot of her training primarily on and i just think it's so powerful for everyone that's interesting i've, I've only been loosely introduced to it um 
and I don't think it was the best of presentations. I was kind of, I was kind of <laughs> turned off by it, honestly. I was like, mm. yep. um, I've since done some, because in the, even in like the back pain world, it, it has a, a place um, yeah. in pain reduction and stuff for chronic pain problems. So, I mean, there's obviously something to it. It's something, how would, this is probably unfair. How would you summarize mindfulness in like short? I would call it awareness without judgment. And the power of mindfulness is, again, it's just a little shift in your mind and it actually does create um, new neuropathways. But the, the real kind of overarching power is that it gives you the ability to kind of emotionally regulate and to just sit with yourself. And I think that's something we all kind of need to work on now is, especially with today's world, everybody's opinions are so strong and we're just so fueled all the time. And especially with the internet, right? You can just like see everybody thinking about everything and you know what's going on in the whole world all the time. And so being able to kind of take in information, just kind of sit with it, allowing yourself to just like, stay calm, kind of acknowledge things going on around you or acknowledge something you didn't like about something or whatever the situation is. And then being able to just kind of move past it. That's the beauty of it. That's interesting. Something that definitely I need to explore more. I, I, like, <laughs> I like the idea of what you said something about like being okay, being uncomfortable type of like, yes. I really like that mindset. Like it's okay to be a little uncomfortable once in a while. Yeah. But yeah, I I don't even remember what the last discussion I had. It was like I was at a seminar, and um, it was too um, I don't know, just too out there for me. Like it was, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even see the real life application of of the discussion on mindfulness. Um, but yeah, you said it a lot of sense to me. You know, that can happen, and I think a lot of people get really kind of caught up that oh, I'm going to have to sit cross-legged, you know, outside for three hours to be able to, you know, get this mm -hmm. special place. That's so false. Like mindfulness can just be kind of sitting, like you can wake up in the morning and sit in your bed for 10 seconds, do a few deep breaths and just kind of be aware of how you're feeling. That totally counts, totally counts. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be some crazy dramatic big thing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of like my trainings are just kind of just check in with yourself, see how you're feeling and just being aware of how you're doing. And if you are uncomfortable, just allowing that to just be there. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is that actually being uncomfortable is probably, again, just like failure, one of the best ways to grow when you're uncomfortable you tend to find a way through it right and so i often tell my clients like get comfortable being uncomfortable because that's just sort of part of life yeah there was a you familiar with ito portal like some no. guy out of israel he's like this movement he does capoeira it's all this stuff cool. he like flipping on his head and doing backflips and one-arm handstand i mean just physically just the most impressive human anyway he's got this movement culture thing and i recently saw an interview with him where he said now the hardest thing he does is try to lay in a bed and stare at the ceiling for 30 minutes yeah just do nothing for 30 minutes right 
it's it's hard. so hard <laughs> it's so hard and you and seriously i know i just said it but like because we have our phones all the time and i i am just as addicted as an next person i'm not saying i'm like enlightened in any way but you know when you go into a doctor's office or a place where people are sat i can't even remember the last time i've gone in there and like even two people are just kind of sitting there being we just don't be just sit anymore ever <laughs> yeah it's just it's a challenge <laughs> it actually is right it's so hard and so even just doing it for one minute a day super powerful that could be the new tiktok challenge yeah Open it and don't do anything <laughs> everybody just sit for five minutes without your phone it could be like a behind the scenes yeah. tiktok challenge people would go berserk. yeah berserk. Oh, that's really cool all right well i want to be respectful of your time i like to finish each podcast with something actionable like what is something that you wish people would do and then well go ahead I, I think i have an idea but you can finish finish no 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 go 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 okay i i think that i know this i want it to not sound like cliche but pointing i'm gonna say pointing out positives in your day is honestly one of the best things that we can all do i think we tend to gravitate towards negative things easier as human beings in general that's just something we do right we've we've been conditioned to kind of point things out that are unfavorable but focusing on finding three things about your day that you enjoyed at the end is honestly one of the most powerful things we can all do and i think it makes you feel better about your day even if you've had like the worst possible day if you can actively think through your day okay well what three things actually did i enjoy and it could be super basic like you know what i ate cheese at lunch and that made me feel happy like great <laughs> do it acknowledge it if we could all do that, I guarantee this world would be such a happier place. Like guaranteed. I can promise that. That's an interesting, yeah. I, my mind goes so many different places, but the, the cultural stuff, um, you know, growing up, we were <clears throat> very religious and I hate going down the religious path, but you think of like nightly prayer. Yep. And it almost reminds me of mindfulness, right? Of you're going to sit down, you're going to say thank you for a few things, you're going to talk about kind of some goals, you're going to, um, and then you hear this. Uh, and my other interest recently has been fasting. Uh -huh. almost, almost all religious cultures fast at some point. Yes. Yeah. Right. To pick your religion, they all have a fasting piece. So it's like all these things that are these new wave mindfulness is this new wave thing. Yes. And you look at all these different cultures that really practiced it daily. Yes. Yes. And I, they all kind of interconnect in some way, right? It's all, I think people really gravitate to being able to be appreciative, being able to be more positive in some way. And all humans want it in some way, whether that's through a religious kind of path or through a 
you know, kind of uh, just sit around the table and chat with your parents kind of path, or whether that's a more kind of spiritual path, whatever it may be, it's that attention to yourself and attention to your thoughts that I totally, I totally agree. I think all humans have some finger in the hole in some way. And it's just kind of allowing that to be more of a norm. You know, everybody just, just think of three things that you liked. And actually my mom used to say, I love this. She used to say, find the art in things. And I loved it. Like find something that you find appealing or beautiful or artistic or like, even like, oh, this bedspread is really nice and it's pretty. Just pointing out positives is really, really powerful. Oh man, I'm gonna this quickly touch on this. It taps into this phenomenon called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon, which is basically attention to something makes you see it more. So yeah, say that. you've decided you want to drive a Tesla. You're like, you know what? Maybe I like Teslas. And then all of a sudden you're driving on the highway and every other car to you is a Tesla. You're like, and then you start thinking, has there always been this many Teslas? Or is this like, how come now all of a sudden I've seen 10 Teslas today? And it's because it's a psychological phenomenon. It's because when we are attentive to something, when we have been made aware of something, we are more likely to see it because our brain is constantly trying to make connections. And so if you bring your awareness of, you know, three things every night or something every night that you appreciated about your day and you do that a couple times, your mind will start actively finding those things throughout your day. It is crazy. It's an actual thing. And so that is just a simple way to kind of capitalize on that psychological phenomenon. Little, little mind tricks, positive. Mind yeah, tricks. totally, totally. We call our stuff tricks too, but um, yeah. So I definitely, will, I definitely need to implement that. We need to put that into practice. And then last thing that I always like to ask within your field, what do you think are things that are going to be most interesting to you next year or even five years down the road? Like where, where are things going? Where do you, you know, where's the future of your practice? Um, I honestly think it's just going to become a more common place for athletes. I think historically sports psychology and mental performance has kind of been something that we saved for the big dogs out there. It was for Olympic Olympians and it was for college athletes. I didn't get any kind of sports psych services until I was in college athletics, D1 college athletics. And I think now with things like Headstrong and businesses kind of opening up and being remote as well, it really is going to open the door for athletes and people of all kinds of realms. And I think it's just going, I'm just excited to see how more people start going to these services to just better themselves and to just see if we can just kind of improve as a species around our own mental well-being. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think you are seeing, uh, and, and again, maybe it is that I'm just looking for it a little bit, but right, you're seeing more, and Facebook, Facebook sets you up for it because they, totally. they know what you're looking for, but you're seeing more remote, different mental toughness, mental coaching, mental psychology things that are a little more commonplace, so. Yes. 
I hope that that's the case. I also hope that just kind of like the two things I hate about, like, I wish I would have known more about in school is financial health, like oh, how money works. Great. Why didn't we learn anything about that in school? And then mental, mental things like there should have been these strategies. Yeah. Uh, just why aren't they common practice? Right. Like I know I should, I know I should get 30 minutes of cardio per day. Why don't I know what I should do for my mental health? Why isn't that a national recommendation type of a thing? Yes, I couldn't agree more. I think I, I think our, a lot of our education system might have to grow with us. I think, you know, sitting down and just doing times tables and blah, blah, blah may not be the way of our future. We might have a bit more of a, dare I say holistic, more like well-being knowledge growing up as well and doing exactly that like incorporating hey how are you going to be a healthy human being in general and hopefully that's what we'll see a little bit more in the future all right amanda thank you so much i know you're moving and doing all kinds of crazy stuff (laughs) i appreciate you carving out some time and and new mom yeah all the things um too cool how, where can people learn more about you uh, and, and kind of what, what you do? So people can please check out Headstrong Team on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter, and then Headstrong Consulting on Facebook. And our website is www.headstrongconsulting.com. And through that, you can book us for anything. We do like resiliency training with federal agents. We do all sorts of crazy stuff. And so no matter who you are as a human being, we could probably help you out in some way. That's awesome. Yeah, I was on your website. A lot of cool stuff on there. Yeah, very cool. Thanks so much. I will Thank you for having me. It was so cool to chat with you. I agree. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. See ya. See ya. Thanks for watching and supporting the channel. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Let us know in the comments below what you liked, what you disliked, what you'd like to hear more of, and any questions we can help answer. We appreciate your support, and we look forward to seeing you on the next one.